You can now rise for the reading of God's word. We're in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Raise your hand. We got one Bible up here, Mr. Blades. Any other Bibles? One over there. One over there. Okay. Thank you, Solomon. Matthew 5, uh, chapter 13 says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the, earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for uh, this purpose verse. It's a purpose verse. What's the purpose of a human life? It's to be salt, a preservative, that which preserves the beauty and glory of the Lord. That's who we are, Lord. Teach us now one way, in one area, we can be just that, the salt of the earth, Lord. Lest we be trampled underfoot by men. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you may be seated. You may be seated. So I want to uh, start this morning with putting a few verses up regarding my responsibility to you as a pastor. One of the verses um, that we think about a lot, us pastors. Uh, Dave, do you have the verses? Do you have the verses? One of the verses is my brethren, James 3.1. Let not many of you become teachers. So it's, it, it does say in the Bible, it's a wonderful thing to want to be a pastor or a teacher. But James says, but not many of you, knowing that we will receive a stricter judgment, meaning that there's a particular responsibility of pastors and teachers to teach the whole Bible. And if you don't teach the whole Bible, and if you don't teach the Bible correctly, you'll be subject to God's judgment. And that's just what the Bible says. And then there's a verse in Ezekiel that says this, but if the watchman, mean a pastor, sees the enemy coming and doesn't sound the alarm to warn the people, if I'm not properly warning you, they will die in their sins, meaning the people will die in their sins, but I will hold the watchman, the, past, the pastor, responsible for their deaths, meaning uh, in a way which I'm not completely, I don't completely understand this, a pastor, I am responsible for your sin. This is what the Bible says, if I am not teaching about sin, if I'm not teaching the Bible. The Apostle Paul puts it um, like this, uh, more dramatically, a verse that was, has confused many people, but it's actually very simple. I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not sh shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. What he's saying here is, I have not hesitated to tell you the whole Bible, therefore I'm innocent of your blood, meaning your guilt. If any guilt that you have for going out and sinning anyway, I'm innocent of it. 
That's the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20. Why am I beginning with these verses? Because today I'm speaking about abortion. Almost every Sunday morning at Calvary Chapel, uh, I teach chapter by chapter, verse by verse. I teach through the Bible. But because of some recent events that have put abortion in the public eye, I feel as your pastor, I have to sound the alarm. I have to, I have to give a warning because I'm ultimately, I'm responsible or have a responsible, therefore you're responsible ultimately, but I have a responsibility for how you respond, whether or not you obey or you disobey the word of God. Not a comfortable subject, abortion. What is it? What's abortion? Abortion is the termination of a pregnancy through a medical intervention as opposed to, not to be confused with a miscarriage, which ends without medical intervention. And few issues stir up more passion today than the issue of abortion. Why is that? Because on the one hand, abortion looks like one human being taking the life of another human being. It looks like murder. On the other hand, women, throughout history, have suffered terribly, indescribably, <laughs> because many times they have been left with most or all of the responsibility for raising unwanted children. No question about that. No dispute. And so many see abortion as a, uh, many see abortion as a way of protecting women from that suffering, and that is understandable. So passions run very high, extremely high. But if as a pastor I avoid teaching what the Bible says about this issue, I will certainly find myself in great trouble with God. The issue is of great concern to me right now because it appears almost certain that the United States Supreme Court will overturn existing law which protects a woman's right to abortion, which um, would make states able to make abortion illegal. Now, I don't want to get too complicated. Even if states do that, after that, Congress can still come back and make it legal. But, 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 but um, nevertheless, if the, Supreme Court, uh, if the Supreme Court does do this, and take um, uh, overturn laws which um, allow states to uh, make abortions um, illegal, that will result in a tremendous amount of hatred and emotion. Some of it has already uh, been happening, and it'll be directed at Christians, at churches. And this has already um, started happening, but there will be um, it will be almost explosive. It's going to be um, directed at you, whether you want it or not. And so, I just want to pause. I am hearing uh, a recording or something. If you, if you have a recording or something going on, if you could turn it off right now. I'm hearing. Yeah? Oh, it's in the translation. I see. Okay. Okay. Well, we, can, we can work on that. I'm sure that's being worked on. So, um, 
The question for you is what are you going to do? How are you going to respond, Calvary Chapel? Here's a verse that I love in the book of Acts. It says this. It says in, in Acts chapter um, 13, verse 36. Do we have that, Dave? It says, after David did the will of God in his generation, he died. Why do I really like this verse? Because it says, after David had done the will of God in his generation, not some other generation, his generation. His own generation had its issues. Every generation of Christians have unique issues to that generation that they're confronted with. And the question is, are they, are you gonna have the courage to confront that issue, walk in faith, obey the will of God, or are you gonna hide? It's, 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 It's very simple. David did the will of God in his own generation. Are, are you going to do it in yours? This morning, I'm going to do my best to present to you the truth of God on which abortion, uh, what abortion is and what um, the Bible teaches your response should be to the current environment where the passion and the hostility, understandably, completely understandably, run so high. What are you supposed to do? in light of that. First thing first, where does human life begin? Or rather, when? When does human life begin? Does abortion, in fact, involve one human being taking the life of another human being? In other words, is abortion murder? Is that true? That answer depends on what the Bible teaches regarding when human life begins. So let's look at the Bible and what it says about this subject. And this is just one, I'm just gonna give you a few verses. There's many, many more I'm not gonna be putting up. But but this is David speaking prophetically uh, in the word of God. In Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16, this is David speaking to God. David speaking to God here. And he says, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before, that's very important, before a single day had passed. And so this verse in Psalm 139, and again, there's more that I'm not going to be able to put up. It tells us two things. Number one, it says that God is the one who creates a human being in the womb. In the first chapter of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, um, God said this. He, um, He said, it says, God created man in his own image, male and female, he created them. So where does God do his creating? Well, after those first two human beings, he does it in the womb. That's where he does. And so it begs the question, should man be destroying what God is in the middle of creating? And the answer is no. Number two, 
The second thing about this verse, Dave, can we um, keep it up there? It, not only is God creating the womb here, notice God sees what he is creating as a living human being with the future because um, the, the, the last verse says this, every moment was laid out before, so every moment meaning of his life, every moment of his life was laid out before a single day had passed, meaning as that, as that uh, person is being created. Can I help you? Are you raising your hand? Oh, okay, I'm sorry. I thought you were raising your hand. You needed a different Bible. Um, as you're being created in the womb, the Lord has thoughts towards you. That's what, uh, that's what um, the Bible says. And so um, he's interacting with the womb as a created being. Let's skip to um, Luke 1, Dave. The Lord sees this person he's, he is creating. In Luke 1.15, um, speaking of John the Baptist, the angel said to his father, I believe, John, for he, meaning John the Baptist, will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb, meaning inside the womb. Now, how do I know this is talking about the spirit in the womb? Because of this next verse later on in the chapter where it says that when John the Baptist's mother, Elizabeth, heard the greeting of Mary, who was pregnant at that time with Jesus, the babe leaped in her womb. There was an interaction between one baby in the womb and another. There's without question there is life going on in the womb at this time. And so that is a life. Now importantly, the one writing this verse that we just read was Luke. Luke was also, he, he wrote the book of Luke, also the book of Acts. Luke is what? He is a medical doctor. He's referred to in scripture, in scripture as a medical doctor. Um, and uh, he... He, Luke also wrote this verse. Let's read this verse. It says, then they also brought infants to him. Him is who? It's Jesus. It says they brought infants to Jesus that he might touch her, touch rather them, but when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. So that word infants there, uh, it, it's very important for um, you to understand. Luke, the medical doctor, uses the same word for a young toddler, a, a young child, as he does in Luke chapter one, describing a baby in the womb. Same word, no difference. It's, both, it's a life in both circumstances. The last verse I'll give you, and this one is, it's almost impossible to argue uh, that God does not, it does not fully intend and believe that the, the life of a baby in the womb is a human act of life. It says in the book of Exodus, in the law of Moses, it says this. Now suppose two men are fighting and in the process they accidentally strike a pregnant woman. If there is injury, the punishment must match the injury a life for a life, an eye for an eye, a hand for a, a hand. What this is saying, if the um, person injures a woman, she is 
not injured her, rather, if a person strikes a woman, she is not injured, but the baby is, it's eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, hand for a hand, eye for an eye. Notice it says life for a life, the death penalty for injuring a baby in the womb when the baby and the baby dies. That's the death penalty. That's the Old Testament. That was a law for Israel. The moral law carries over um, to uh, to the New Testament. The other laws were fulfilled And so the sentences are not always the same uh, that you see in the Old Testament um, as they are for today, but the moral law, meaning that it's murder, that carries over. That's, that's, That's timeless. Moral law is timeless. And so um, God considers the taking of uh, a baby in the womb as murder. That's what that verse says. And so um, the Bible is clear. The Bible is clear that life begins in the womb. How about science? We have been told throughout the pandemic to follow the science. Well, let's do that here. Let's follow the science when life begins. What does science say? It says this. At eight weeks, a baby in the womb sucks its thumb, feels pain, responds to sound, his or her brain is active. The heart is pumping. The kidneys are dispensing life-giving fluid to the body at eight weeks. Science says it's a life. The Bible says it's a life as well. Life begins in the womb at conception. And if life begins in the womb, that means personhood begins in the womb, that body, and I listen, I know this is going to hurt. This is going to hurt some people here because there's been incredible suffering by women over the centuries with unwanted pregnancy. But the Bible teaches that that body in the womb is not the same body that is carrying it. It's a different body. It's got a different DNA, sometimes different blood type. Often pro-abortion protesters have signs that say it's my body. It's just simply not. This is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches this, though. In Deuteronomy chapter uh, 30, actually it's not 3, it's 30, sorry for that. Verse 39, it says, Now that I, meaning I, God, I, this is God speaking, God alone am he, and there is no God besides me. It is I who bring both death and life. It is not for man to take the life that is in a womb. Only God gives life and takes it away. Number two, what should the Christian response to be to what is which is going on, all the hostility out there that is being directed and will be directed at you whether you like it or not. What should a Christian's response be to the Bible teaching that life begins in the womb and for one human being to take the life of another human being in the womb? Most importantly, a Christian's response when there is an outpouring of hostility towards them, 
Most importantly, they need to be willing to suffer for that position. They also need to be able to love in response, meet hostility with love. A lot of pro-life proponents have had very shameful behavior that didn't represent Jesus Christ. I have to say this though, my son was 10 days old when he was in a pro-life march. I was carrying him, he wasn't walking. My son Sam. I was shocked and amazed at the difference between those participating in the march and there was gentleness and peace that I saw. There was thousands and thousands of people in this march. And the hostility of those on the sidelines coming against us. Nevertheless, it is true. Getting angry at someone with a, a, um, with a, a pro-abortion uh, position, getting angry and expressing anger at that person is sin. The Bible says be angry, but do not sin. There's, you can be angry at life's being taken. But let me tell you, God's anger towards you all went on Jesus on the cross. And now you likewise are supposed to, and, and since all his anger uh, 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 against you and all your sin, and some of you, some of us in here, there's been abortions, has been, um, uh, it was put on the cross, and the result of that is now the anger's gone. He has only love towards you, and he asks you to do the same. So, so but, but supremely, what's most important in order for God to be um, glorified is that you're willing to suffer for maintaining your position. Uh, today in the churches throughout America, um, there is a, a message, a gospel, a, 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 a teaching that calls itself a teaching that is so contrary to the gospel. And, and it says this, it says, God has a plan for you. God has a plan for you. God has a plan, it's a plan, it's a plan. And 95% of the time, what that means is he's got a good job for you. He's got a nurse, a doctor, a plumber, a construction worker, an architect, a, a, prof a professor. He's got a plan for your life. It's a good house. He's got a plan for your life. It's a loving family. God has a plan. God has a plan. God, the, the word is used way more in messages than it's used uh, than in proportion to how the, what, what the uh, gospel says. They usually use Jeremiah 29, but um, it's a false gospel, at, um, or at least it's an incredibly misleading one, because almost every time it leaves out so central to God's plan for every Christian, if you are a Christ follower, central to God's plan for your life is that you suffer. That's what should be in the message. God has a plan for your life. It's that you suffer. This is just the Bible. It's just very, very clear about it. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 16 and 17 say this. The Spirit himself bears witness with our um, spirit that we are children of God. What a privilege that we are children of God. But let's read about what comes with the privilege of being children of God. It says, and if children, then heirs, an heir is someone who in inherits something. 
um, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, Me- meaning you are not a Christian if you don't suffer. If you're one of those people who avoid the stigma of being a Christian, the suffering that comes along, the hostility, it probably means you're not a Christian and you need to just go to the Lord and say, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me, God? At every, at every temptation of suffering, I shrink back and I, go, and, and I, I, I avoid it. I'm a suffer avoider. But, but Jesus said anyone who, is, uh, who would follow me must take up their cross and follow me to the cross where there is suffering. Now, is it true that when you do that, prosperity follows so many times. I could give you a thousand story. Houses, spouses, uh, cars, whatever. That's true. But the gospel that, that God has a plan for your life and it's all these wonderful glittering things in the future, that's false. That's not, that's not Jesus. And the joy's not there either, by the way. That's just, a, that's just misery, <laughs> that plan. Without suffering, there is no joy. Paul says this, in um, Philippians chapter three, I wanna know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. This is where Jesus has got to bring you. If you don't go to this place where, where you experience the fellowship, the joy of being in prison in Eritrea with the, and, 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 and being suffering and saying, wow, I'm doing this for the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't know Christianity. You don't know it. You're following a false gospel, and it's a very weak, anemic one as well. And so um, John chapter 15, very important verse here. Verse 18, it says this. um, Oh, I have Spanish on the top. Okay. (laughs) Si el mundo los aborrece, sepan que a mí me ha aborrecido antes If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Most importantly, Calvary Chapel, please. When there's this outpouring of anger, don't shrink away. That's my warning. I have a stricter judgment. If I don't tell you that, I'm in trouble with God. Don't shrink away, the Bible says. We just heard a powerful testimony of someone living in Eritrea and suffering per- terrible persecution. I won't mention her name. But, but what, about, uh, what about you? <laughs> living in the United States where the persecution is a tiny fraction of the persecution. In Eritrea, what, is, what are you going to do? Are you going to shrink back? Are you going to do that? I, or, or are you going to uh, embrace it? And here, you know, it's, it's almost laughable because largely here, the persecution um, in this area of abortion, it's name-calling. Yes, there are some exceptions, but 95% of the time, that's all it is. Now, I know it's hard. I know it's hard to be called nasty names and be isolated by society. But what are you going to do, Calvary Chapel? Are you going to embrace that suffering? What should your response be? Dave, if we could switch down to Matthew 5.13. This is what we began with. It says this, Jesus says this on the Sermon of the Mount, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for Great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets before you. But then it says, and so this is the verse we started with, you're the salt of the earth. What is salt? What does that mean, the salt of the earth? What's he getting at there? Well, today we have refrigeration. Uh, At Jesus' time, they didn't have refrigeration, but they had salt. And what did salt do? It preserved meat, among other things. It preserved uh, fish. It, perver- um, it preserved it from rotting. It preserved the meat from rotting. Calvary Chapel, please listen to me. You're the salt of the earth. God has a plan. We spent three weeks in Mark 13 about God's plan for this earth to be glorified someday with no corruption, no wars, complete peace. Before that time, before Jesus returns, his plan is to see his kingdom on this earth by his people, his people living faithfully, being salt of the earth and preventing it from being completely corrupted. And so I, it, it's, a, it's a preservative and I just want to explain just a little bit about how Christians are salt in this area of abortion. I found this absolutely phenomenal article about six months ago. It's on ABC News website. This is not far right news or whatever you want to call it. This is ABC News. Incredible argument about um, what we learn from early Christianity's opposition to exposure. What is exposure? I mean, you can can go to the least educated, the highest educated people of Boston and ask them what exposure is, and they'll say, oh, that's when you get too much sun. That's not what exposure is. The word exposure has been completely eliminated from our vocabulary, at least in the West, because of early Christianity's opposition to it. What was it? Your baby had was deformed, or your family had too many kids and you couldn't afford them, or it was a girl. You had the legal right, and it was not even frowned upon at all, to just put it out, the baby out, at a place. Many times, by the way, they put them in the same place where um, they would be eaten alive, or they would be captured and made slaves. Many would die, some were adopted. Some were adopted. There's one baby who that was taken. He became emperor <laughs> and, and, uh, one day. But what happened? It was just a common thing in everyone's vocabulary. But Jesus said to Christians, "You're the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth." And so this article. And it's a long scholarly article for nerds like me, uh, it, it, but I, I will just read just a little from it. Um, it said, infanticide and to a greater degree exposure were common practices throughout the Greco-Roman world. This is 2,000 years ago when the Greeks and the Romans reigned. Um, as a means to counter, uh, uh, rather, as a means, as a, in opposition to exposure, the early church responded by three ways. Number one, openly condemning the practice. So that's what, not, not openly, did you hear that? Openly condemning the practice. 
That's what salt does. You openly condemn abortion in a loving way, but in a faithful way. It goes on to say this, by acting, acting benevolently towards the victims. Uh, it, um, it, it actually says that the churches actually, as they began known to be a place who opposed, who opposed um, exposure, people just started bringing their kids to, the, to, to churches. And then of course also um, supporting women. Supporting women who are raising kids without the father. The third thing was um, that, they, uh, that, that Christian Roman emperors and other Christians changed the legislation regarding infanticide and exposure. Uh, in fact, um, Constantine was the first Christian emperor. He's the one who began whittling away and dismantling uh, the uh, laws regarding exposure, and then a later emperor who is a Christian more or less outlawed it. That's what salt is. Salt, salt preserves a society. Now, there, there, what about, you say, well, Steve, can I be against abortion, um, but leave it the right to, to others? Well, let me tell you uh, the, the problem with that um, the problem, if we let abortion and exposure and other things like that, um, I take that back. If, if, if we allow abortion um, just to go unhindered, what will happen, society will get more and more and more rotten. Let me give you uh, an example of that. Dave, do we have just the front page of the afterbirth abortion? Um, I sent you that link early this morning. Um, and so there is a concept now that is being uh, promoted. I just wanted to see if we could um, um, put up the front page of that article. There's a, there is a concept now being promoted uh, by people who are at universities, at prominent universities. There's one guy at Oxford, uh, uh, in fact, uh, and another uh, one of the editors of this, 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 this article, and is promoting um, after what's called afterbirth abortion, um, meaning that uh, you should have the right to, to put to death a newborn. Uh, and, and in fact, Peter Singer, a professor at Princeton University, he, he's an advocate of this. And from his book, Practical Ethics, he says, human babies are not born self-aware or are capable of grasping that they exist over time. They're not babies, he says, Peter Singer. He's a Princeton professor, by the way. In his book, How Should the Baby Live?, Singer and his colleagues suggest a period of 20 days after birth might be allowed before an infant is accepted as having the same right to live as others. So um, for, as an example, parents should be able to um, put to death um, children with Down syndrome. So if we don't oppose abortion, don't think that there will be um, a de slow deterioration, a rapid deterioration of society. Uh, you know, there's been, there were 6.3 million deaths from COVID in 2021, but 46 million deaths from abortion. Did you hear that? COVID got a lot of attention, as 
a lot of it was justified. 6.3 million deaths worldwide. 43 million deaths to abortion. 92% of Down syndrome babies in the United States are aborted currently in the United States. And if abortion is not opposed, the world will take more and more liberties. Current legislation, right now, there's states with legislation right now which would permit a mother and a doctor to do nothing if a baby during a, an abortion or after an abortion procedure is born alive. They are permitted, there's legislation trying to permit the doctor to do nothing. One last thing in terms of this thing called salt. Salt. You are the salt of the world. The founder of Planned Parenthood was a woman named Margaret Sanger. Um, in the wake of the George Floyd protests in 2020, uh, uh, Planned Parenthood uh, and the whole Black Lives Matter uh, protests, Planned Parenthood uh, issued a statement announcing it was uh, removing Margaret Sanger's name from the abortion center in New York City. Margaret Sanger was the founder of Planned Parenthood and Planned Parenthood was not only the first sort of uh, birth control center, it's also the leading provider of um, abortions in the country. But this is what they said of their founder when they removed her name uh, from the, the building. It says, uh, this is Planned Parenthood speaking. This is not some crazy Christian preacher. Uh, this is Margaret, this is Planned Parenthood speaking. Margaret Sanger's concern and advocacy for reproductive health have been clearly documented, but so too her racist legacy. There is overwhelming evidence for Sanger's deep belief in eugenic ideology. Eugenic ideology is a belief that the human race can be purified by eliminating or decreasing the size of the population of certain races and people from human species. Margaret Sanger's um, in Margaret Sanger's case, that included blacks, and that included people from developing nations. Um, she spoke at a KKK rally. She also had a, um, um, a project called Negro Project, which deliberately targeted black community. The residue of this ideology um, exists until this very day. Um, the abortion rate for black women is almost four times the rate of white women, uh, which has outraged many in the black community. There's some wonderful uh, black churches and um, um, ministries which are led by black folks that are now really trying to tackle this. There is systemic racism in the United States of America. Don't let anyone convince you otherwise. It's the abortion industry. Again, it says, uh, it, it says in the Bible, Matthew 5, 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? And then very importantly, just get the, let this soak in. It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. So we'll conclude with this, number three. How do we handle the sin of abortion in the church? Meaning, what do we do 
Uh, the Bible says, uh, rather not the Bible says, statistics, according to statistics, up to one in four of women who had an abortion. It's a lot of pe people participating in abortion. So what do we do as these people come into our church? Well, let me tell you my testimony. So I never heard about being born again, about how to become a Christian until I was 16 or 17. I had to leave this country and go to a, a Catholic country, Venezuela, to first hear the gospel. It's the strangest thing. But that's how, you know, New England and many other places in the country now, it's like that. And I first heard about the necessity of being born again, that I can't have a relationship with God by trying to be good, and that my sins were so great that there's no way for me to pay them back but that God offered his own son to pay my sin for him, for rather for me, for me to be saved by faith in Jesus Christ. I was 17 where I specifically remember thinking about becoming born again, wanting to give Jesus Christ my whole life, and I didn't. Why? There was only one reason. I was having sex with my girlfriend as often as I possibly could. And so I left there and I went and over the next seven years, I was not above having a one night stand sexually. On one of those, I got a woman pregnant. What was the result? She had an abortion. So how am I supposed to deal with that? The Bible again says that there is no way that I can stand before God and try to make a defense that somehow I've been good enough to make up for that. The Bible also says that as much as I possibly can try to make up that it's really not the taking of a human life, me and everyone else on planet Earth knows full well that it is. And the question is, are you going to be defiled or am I going to be defiled by guilt and hampered for it, with it for the rest of my life? Or am I going to look to the cross where the Son of God hung blood pouring out and recognize that by the blood of Jesus Christ that sin the sin of murder which I'm guilty of and every other sin of my life has been forgiven and has allowed me to enter into a relationship with God where there's joy there's peace and it's filled with purpose, one being, by the way, being salt of the earth. I was in my, um, I was in my Bible study the last couple of weeks in the book of Leviticus, which is known as, you can go there if you'd like, to the book of Leviticus with your Bibles. I'm going to close this up right now. And people, when they talk about reading through the Bible, they say, well, yeah, I did real well, though I got to the book of Leviticus. The book of Leviticus was the, uh, is the book which lays out the different offerings that the Jews uh, 
made and they were all a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. So the book of Leviticus in the first few uh, verses of chapter one, chapter one, in verse two actually, it says, speak to the children of Israel, when any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the livestock or the, of the herd and of the flock, meaning you bring your lamb, you bring your bull, you bring your goat. Verse three. If his offering is a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. This is a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. It was a male without blemish. He was perfect. He lived a perfect life in order to credit his perfect life to you. He, the person offering it, shall um, offer it of his own free will at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord. And so when, they, when you brought your lamb in, Jew, in Old Testament times to the altar, it had to be with no imperfection. It had to be perfect. There, it couldn't be diseased. It couldn't have like one eye. It couldn't have a short leg. And they always examined the lamb. They never examined the person offering the lamb. Why? Because the person offering the lamb is filled with sin. <laughs> it's a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. What are you going to offer to God? Your own life? <laughs> the Bible says, we are appointed to man to die one time and then comes a judgment and at the judgment seat, you're gonna give an account for your life. Are you gonna offer your own life as justifying entrance into heaven and eternal life? Or are you gonna offer the perfect lamb? That's what this verse is about. Look at verse four. Then he shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it will be accepted on his behalf, make atonement for him, meaning the offering will, will pay for all his sins. But most importantly, look at verse five. He shall kill the bull, in this case it's a bull, could have been a lamb, could have been a goat, could have been a pigeon. Pigeon. He shall kill the bull before the Lord and the priests and Aaron's sons shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood all around the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So you took a lamb to the altar, you put your hand on it and you were required to slit the lamb's neck with a knife and you saw the blood poured out. Now that's very gory stuff. It seems like very primitive stuff, but um, I want to share this with you today. There was a, they had a great advantage over us because they could see firsthand right in front of them what their sin caused. Now you can also see, have, you have a picture of what your sin caused, although it's not in person, but it's the same thing. The Lamb of God on the cross, there's blood that, that's coming out. And, and, and here, here's my recommendation to you. Just as they used to put um, the hand, their hand right on the Lamb, here's what I do sometimes. And this isn't like, I know this may sound a little weird, but, but do it. It works. Lord, I got this sin. If you have that sin of abortion in your life, just put up your hand and touch the cross, although not physically. That bloody cross, that bloody body. Just, it's, it was resurrected. Jesus died, ro rose three days later. He will someday greet you with um, his wounded hands and, and wipe away all your tears, but it's a bloody cross. Is that abortion that you've had, you just, you just go to Jesus and you just, you touch him right on that bloody body and touch that 
blood, just like those people in this wonderful picture here in Leviticus. This is a great book to read, isn't it? Now that you've heard this, it's a great book to read. It's deep. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. First Peter says this. We'll close with this. Can I have the worship team come up at this time? First Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19 says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from your, the empty way of life handed down from you from your ancestors. Were any of you handed down an empty way of life? Have a, have a show of hands. How many of you were handed down to you from your fathers and your grandfathers an empty way of life? I, I know I was. <laughs> oh man, it was an empty way of life. Again, it says, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed, that you were saved from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. That blood cleanses you. And when you appear before the judgment seat, you're not gonna, don't, don't come with all the good things that you tried to do to make up for all your bad things. You just come with faith in Jesus Christ. He did it for me. So if you could rise now, if you've been asked to play, uh, pray, please come up. We're gonna close with a worship song. I just ask first that if you have that that sin of abortion in your past man or woman and you would like prayer come up we're here we'll pray with you about that we'll put that picture right in front of you so you can just put your hand on Jesus Christ that picture of Jesus Christ he had blood on him that blood cleanses you of all that sin the Bible says that though your sins are as red as scarlet, they can be now be as white as snow. They can be white as snow. Or if there's any other thing that you would like to come up and, and pray about, we're, we're up here. Anything else in your past that you would like to present to the Lord, to that cross, that picture. If you've never in your life said to Jesus Christ, come in, be my Lord, be my King. You died for me. You lived a perfect life for me. You rose from the dead for me. If you've never done that, it comes with a simple prayer of asking him to come in as king. It's not an easy prayer because it costs you everything. It costs you your life. But it is a simple prayer. He made it real simple. Now, even a kid, even a child could pray it. In fact, he says in Matthew chapter 18, he says, unless you become, unless you change and you become like a child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. How do, how, how, do, um, how do we change and become a child before God? We come to him and say, we don't know nothing. You know everything. Show me the way and I'll obey. 
if you have any other prayer, come up this time. Father, in Jesus' name, I just thank you for this time together. Just pray that you'd finish your work in us. Amen.